The Cult of Sherry, a food market built on top of a Moorish fortress, and buying sweets from cloistered nuns. This week, we're back in Seville, Spain. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where we explore the world's great cuisine, and this week we are back in one of the great foodie cities, Seville. But first, if you like the podcast, I think you'll like the Destination Eat Drink website and our videos. So sign up for our newsletter and you can keep on top of everything we're doing, not only here on the podcast, but also at DestinationEatDrink.com and on YouTube. Sign up at the website, DestinationEatDrink.com. Last week, Pilar Rubio and I talked about tapas in Seville, and if you missed that, you'll want to listen to that episode. You can get it at radiomisfits.com slash DED232. This week, Pilar is back, and we talk about some of the best drinks in Seville, like orange wine and vermouth. We also do a deep dive into sherry, including the different kinds of sherry and some things to mix with sherry to make refreshing cocktails. Plus, Pilar recommends some food to pair with sherry and how to hold your sherry glass. We also talk about Seville's characteristic Triana neighborhood and its great market and ceramic making tradition. So I'm starving. Let's eat. Destination. Eat, drink. Pilar, welcome back to Destination Eat Drink. It's great to have you back again. We talked last week about the tapas culture and some of the fun things to do in Seville. And I wanted to have you back because there's so much more to the food culture of your great city in Andalusia. So welcome back to the podcast. Well, it was wonderful to talk to you again. Thank you. Last time when we were talking with you, Pilar, we left off talking about cheese, and you mentioned the Mercado de Triana was a good place to mm-hmm. get cheese in Seville. And I've been there. It's a great market, um, and I enjoyed visiting that place. Besides cheese, describe this market in general. Like, what what do we see when we go inside the Mercado de Triana? Well, um, Triana is uh, maybe the most popular for visitors because it's probably most beautiful one but any farm market because in every neighborhood there is one <laughs> is super interesting very close to mercado de triana is mercado del arenal eh? that is also worth to, to explore. but in triana um you're going to see a new market because they rebuilt this market in the 90s it was in very bad shape so they rebuilt it but it's still looking and it was made like that, very, very old, very traditional, with all the name of the shops made with ceramic, made there in Triana. A curiosity about the market is that it's on top of the vestiges of an old fortress built by the Moorish in the 1000, and that was used for centuries by the Spanish Inquisition. And on top of this uh, castle is the market. And now it's a super nice place. It was a terrible place for centuries, but now it's a super nice place where you are going to find the best and the 
on all the traditional foods. And you are going, it's interesting because you're going to see what people eat at home also. So you're going to find the fresh fish uh, shop, the, the fishmongers, that is my, always my favorite part. Uh, the fresh meat uh, with all this Iberian pig, and not only the local uh, veggies, but also sometimes exotic, because there's always a shop in every market where they have these exotic uh, fruits and vegetables. But also, the best pickles shop in the city is there. Oh, in this all right. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. The, the variety of uh, olives and different pickles, and pickles with cheese and maybe tuna and anchovies. And the variety, it's like a candy shop for grown people, you know, for adults. <laughs> <laughs> and they have also an amazing selection of uh, sherry and olive oil. And, and you can buy sherry in bulk. You know, there, there is people who go to the market with their empty bottle and you go to these places and they have this cask of sherry and you fill your bottle. You only pay for the, for the sherry, not for the bottle. And it's very sustainable also. Yeah. Oh, what a great idea. It's a great place. It, you know, we talked about pickles in the last episode. And if folks want to hear that and hear me just gushing about the pickles in Seville, because I, I really do love them, uh, go back and listen to the last episode that we did with Pilar. And you can, um, and you can hear that because it's really pickles in Seville is not something to be missed. Um you mentioned the ceramics at the Mercado de Triana and what I didn't know about this neighborhood, it's a very characteristic traditional neighborhood, at least the parts I walk through. And one of the things it's known for is its ceramics and there's great ceramic shops there. I had no idea that Seville was such a hotbed of ceramics before I got there. This is a, a, a curious thing because Sevilla, the reason why Sevilla exists is the river. It has been always trading and this port over the centuries is going to be super important as important as that this was the, the port and the door to america so we had the monopoly of the trading with the new world um but also in the roman times eh? in the roman times they are going to export from this river and this city tons and tons of uh, olive oil and cereal wheat and wine to the Roman Empire. And of course, you had to put all this inside something hmm. to, to export, to put it in a, in, in a ship. So all, in the Roman times, uh, clay pottery was super important already. Later, the Muslims are going to arrive and they are going, it's going to be a revolution in, in the ceramic technique. They, they brought such a lot of knowledge and everything is going to be not only functional, but beautiful also um, and in the renaissance uh, we have this uh, italian painter niculoso pisano from pisa and he started painting in tiles and, and glazing uh, by firing and that gave us our typical um, triana ceramic style and um, around the market yes there are beautiful beautiful shops and when you buy this, you are buying, you know, part of a tradition that is so old. Everything is in Triana because at the end of the Middle Ages, uh, the authorities decided to, decided to put in that side of the river, the other side of the river, 
uh, all the stinky, smoky, dangerous industry. So all that went for, to Triana, and all the population in the neighborhood were the blue-collar workers in this industry. And this is going to give to Triana a very special character, in, also in flamenco. Triana, without Triana, we wouldn't understand flamenco. It would be different, or it wouldn't be. So it's a, it's a very particular place, yeah. You mentioned flamenco. Is there a place that you would recommend folks go to see flamenco in the Triana neighborhood when they come visit Seville? Absolutely. My, my, I have two favorite places for flamenco in the city, and one of them is in Triana. It's uh, in Pureza Street, very close to the parish in Triana, and it's called Teatro Flamenco Triana. But uh, there is some fun facts that Americans are going to love about this. This is the foundation of Christina Hearing. And Christina Hearing, she is an American lady. She came to Sevilla, to Andalusia, when she was young. She fell in love with flamenco and she started this foundation that today is the closest thing to an official school of flamenco. And people from all the world come comes to this place to, to learn flamenco or to become a flamenco, a professional flamenco artist. And they have a flamenco show every day, uh, starting at 7.30 every evening, and another one at 9. And the level of the artist is is so, so good. It's so high. There's no bad day in this, uh, in this place. And I'm saying this because flamenco every day is different. Eh? To understand flamenco, really, you should go to a live flamenco show. I go to three or four flamenco shows every every week, and every time is different. I recall our first visit ever to Andalusia, and we were in Porta de Santa Maria, and we mm-hmm. just saw a, a sign on a wall that said there was going to be a local flamenco performance in this little town. And so we decided to go. And it wasn't it wasn't a flashy professional one. It seemed like it was just local folks who were, you know, coming up doing their doing their thing. And it seemed like the audience was mostly family members and friends of the performers. And even though this was nearly twenty years ago now, I still recall this so vividly because this is where I got uh, turned on to a drink that they called that they called just for short Tinto, which is basically soda and red wine because it was, you know, it was hot. And the performers were just so grateful to be up on stage. It was obvious that they were having the times of their lives. And so I recommend to everyone see a flamenco performance, but ask a local where you should go. And luckily you're here to tell us the uh, best place to go, Pilar. So thank you for that. The, 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 this is a theater. Eh? It's flamenco. Flamenco also happened spontaneously. In the locals, the locals we normally go to La Peña Flamenca. La Peña Flamenca is like a club, it's like a little club. But I, I think that it's better that you have your first contact with flamenco in, for example, in the Teatro Flamenco Triana. Because in this little club, they only have performances on normally on in the weekends, and they are very focused in the singing. Most important thing in flamenco is the singing. <laughs> so you're not going to see a lot of dancing. But 
if you have time enough to go to both, that will be perfect because you're going to see two different kinds of flamenco. And also happens spontaneously in the family celebrations in time bars, but we cannot tell you anything about this because you never know when it's going to happen. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't happen. I love it. One thing that we didn't get to do when we were in Seville, and here's another reason why we have to come back to Seville, Pilar, is we didn't get to try any of the little uh, desserts and sweets made by the nuns in the city. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, please? This is a wonderful thing that you can do in Sevilla that not a lot of people know. But in every nunnery, in every convent, um, normally the nuns, they make sweets and cakes. And it's a beautiful experience because uh, many of them are cloistered. So you cannot see the nuns. And you and you think, well, then how are they selling the sweet? But they have this wheel, this lazy Susan. Uh, so you hear the nuns. You say there is like a ritual greeting. You say Ave Maria Purissima, and they answer Sin pecado concebida. This is about the Virgin Mary and being immaculate. And then you start uh, your conversation. You order the sweets that you want. Normally they have a list close to the to the wheel with the price and you put the money and they turn the wheel and then you get your sweets. It's it's like a it's the same experience that someone could have in the 17th century. Hmm. Still happening. It's still happening. And these sweets are super high quality. They are handmade by this man. Uh, you read the labels and it's maybe three or four ingredients like egg yolk sugar, uh, orange, and almond. And that's it. There's no artificial preserves. So, or they are natural. They, they, they are super traditional. And many of these uh, recipes are very old. And many of them are very typical from the, from the Moorish, from the Al-Andalus, and also the Jewish uh, tradition. Because uh, in Spain, well, in all Europe, eh, we have these issues with religion. And one way to prove that you were truly a Christian family was sending your daughters to the convent. Hmm. And they are going to bring family recipes. And they are still, we appreciate a lot. It's a beautiful thing to bring to a home when you are invited to a dinner, for example. That's a great idea. So if you get a if you get an invite, make sure you bring the sweets made by nuns. You know, Pilar, here in Portugal, we have a very old tradition as well of... Uh, them making these uh, pastels, different sweets, different pastries at the conventos. But the difference is that most of the convents and monasteries were closed down um, at the end of the 19th century. So a lot of these recipes then migrated to bakeries in different parts of Portugal. So you can still get these original convent treats made with the original recipes. You just can't get them at the convent for the most part because yeah. uh, those convents were closed down. And then, you know, when the nuns died out, uh, that was it. But the recipes were preserved. So you can still you can still get them um, here in Portugal, just not in that same characteristic way that you just beautifully described in Spain. We, we don't know how long it's going to last this because, you know, there is less and less and less uh, religious people in a convent. I, so we don't know how, how long this is going to, to last. 
there is um, now in the few convents that are still active. I, I'm saying few because we had 100 centuries ago. Um, there's maybe eight, uh, eight nuns or maybe 10, and they are very old. Yeah. Oh, you should do it as, uh, you know, still you can do it. <laughs> Get to Seville as soon as possible is the moral of that story. Mm. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Sherry because this is where Sherry is from, this region of Spain, and you're a big fan of Sherry. So I'm going to just let you talk a little bit about uh, the different kinds of Sherry and what are your favorites, Pilar? Okay, you stop me, Brent, because you know that this is uh, one of my favorite things in the world, Sherry <laughs> wine. I'm a serious Sherry lover. <laughs> so you stop me. <laughs> okay. I could be talking about Sherry all morning. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> the, the floor is yours. <laughs> so Sherry is uh, is produced uh, very close to Sevilla. This last year, they they made bigger the the geographical area of production of Sherry, and it's part of the Sevilla province. But it's mostly in the Cadiz in Cadiz province in Jerez, around Jerez and the Atlantic Ocean. So you, you cannot find a European wine made more in the south. Yeah? Um, and it's a very special wine. Some people think that sherry is a, a liquor. It's not. It's, it's a, always a wine. Eh? But it's very special. It's very different. Because it's a fortified wine. They add grape spirit uh, to the wine. Um, they age the, the wine in big casks. If you visit a winery in Jerez that I totally, totally suggest you to do, because it's a totally different way of uh, making wine, you are going to see these amazing big, big buildings. We call them the cathedrals of wine, with this big cask in rows. Eh? There is a row in the in the floor, and above that there is another one, and above that there is another one. There can be three or four or five. And the casks are so big, you can put 600 liters in each one of them. Um, and they are mixing old wine with new wine. The newest is at the top, the oldest at the bottom, in the solera. It's called solera, this row of casks, because it's close to the floor, and the floor in Spanish is suelo. So from suelo, solera. That is the oldest. The only bottle from that, from the oldest. But never take more than 25, 20, 25 of the wine there. Because that wine that they take to bottle, and they bottle when it's ready to drink, they don't age in bottles, that is refreshed, is refilled from the row above. That is younger. And that is refilled from the row above. So they are always blending. By law, the youngest sherry in a bottle should be two years old. But normally it's older, and part of it you never know how how old it is. Really, maybe it, 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 maybe it's fifty years old, one hundred years old. Mm -hmm. A part of it. Eh? It's a, a fascinating way of uh, making wine. All the sherry wines are white, all of them, even those that are mahogany color. And what we normally drink here is dry sherry. People think about sherry abroad, and they think about sweet, sometimes bad quality, syrupy wine, yes, yes. cooking, Christmas, uh, you know, Grammy's cabinet. And here it has nothing to do with that. 
sherry starts in the driest wine in the world and it finishes probably in the sweetest wine in the world. And in between, there's a lot of different sherries. We, the sherry lovers, we are like a sect. We are like a cult. We want more people <laughs> <laughs> to join us. They, uh, we, we always say that there is no one who doesn't like sherries, just that you haven't found your sherry. <laughs> you need to try more. <laughs> it's the most gastronomical wine in the world. I love wine in general, but sherry, sherry for me, it has a complexity, a variety, an intensity that I cannot find in other, in other wines. It's the most gastronomical wine. There is always a sherry for every single food. Even for those that traditional are con- are con- traditionally are considered like, you know, that you cannot pair with any wine. There is a sherry for that. I'm thinking about artichokes or asparagus or spicy food, egg, vinegary food. There's always a sherry for this. It can be a fino or a manzanilla that is the driest. This is great with seafood, with pickles, uh, with the fish with sushi or it can be an amontillado amontillado is probably the most the most versatile of all the the sherries but it's absolutely worth it to to explore maybe the first sip is going to taste uh, weird for some people especially the dry but it, it only goes better especially with food it makes food better and the food makes the wine better it's it's uh, it's a whole universe eh? one once you start uh, you want to know more, you want to taste more, and you realize that you know nothing. <laughs> it's a fascinating universe. I think my favorite kind is the uh, Fino, because I think that's one of the drier ones, and um, I, I love sipping on the Fino. It's also, to me, it's one of the lighter sherries. Sometimes they're a little too alcoholic for me, um, I, and your yeah. point that you need to have food with it is a, is a good one. It's like, you're not sitting there quaffing sherry. You're, you know, you're sipping sherry, but for me, Fino is the best. Describe what makes, what, what the characteristic is of Fino compared to maybe another one of the different varietals of sherry. Fino and Manzanilla are the most popular sherry here. And you're going to see a lot of local people with this characteristic glass, always holding the glass from the bottom and sipping with tapas. Um, It's very, very dry. It's the driest. It's pale color. And it keeps this pale color because it's always aging in the cask uh, underneath a yeast layer that we call the veil of the flower, veil of the flower. And this yeast is going to eat all the sugar. It could be in, 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 the, in the wine. Um, and it's very crisp and very elegant, a little bit bitter sometimes. And it's 15% alcohol. It's the lightest of sherry. And it's 15% alcohol. That is the minimum. The rest of the sherries are going to be 17 or even higher in, in alcohol. So we sip it very, very slowly. Uh, also because it's very complex and sherries are long so you don't need to be drinking all the time and also it's alcoholic so we we sip it Uh, we we kiss the wine you you know we we tend to be a little bit poets with wine and sherry (laughs) it's it's a must you need to try you need to try fino or or manzanilla fino is very easy to find abroad eh? Uh, there is a winery 
um, Tío Pepe González Díaz. And they have a wonderful marketing net and it's very easy to find Tío Pepe Fino everywhere in the world, really. When we were in Cordoba, we had a cocktail called 50-50, which is made with Fino. And I'm, I don't remember seeing 50-50 in Seville. Is that just a Cordoba drink or do you see that in Seville as well, Pilar? We mix uh, a lot uh, of wine with sodas to make them lighter because of the temperature. This, um, we have different differences eh, about how we, we make it. But here in Sevilla, it's very easy to find with red wine and lemon soda or white soda or orange soda. We call it tinto de verano. And this is important that everybody knows we do not drink sangria in Spain. Hmm, right. It's, this is important. Eh? We don't drink sangria in Spain. We drink this, tinto de verano or tinto con limón. But also this uh, with fino uh, or manzanilla, we mix with 7-Up. And here in Sevilla, we call this rebujito. That is a very typical drink for feria, for April Fair. Also in some bars, you can find it. Sometimes if they don't offer this option, like in Cordoba, you just uh, order a 7-Up and a glass of manzanilla and you mix it. Make it yourself. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the perfect the perfect way to prepare this, I'm going to give you the, the, the way, the way of making, because it's a perfect, perfect summer drink to have in the garden or, you know, by the swimming pool. It's, uh, here in Sevilla, we tend to do it not 50-50, but a third of cherry wine of Manzanilla or Fino and two thirds of uh, 7-Up ice and a few mint leaves. And this is perfect. Oh, that sounds refreshing. It is. <laughs> um, okay, so let's leave Sherry behind for just a moment. And let's talk about another drink that I had in Seville that you were kind enough to turn me on to, which is called uh, Vino de Naranja, which is orange wine. I had never heard of this before. Um, I went on a food tour with you, Pilar. Describe this drink to us and tell us what its significance is in Seville. Vino de, Naran uh, Vino de Naranja, this orange wine, is uh, produced very close to Sevilla in the province of Huelva, that is between Sevilla and Portugal and the Algarve. Uh, and it's a sweet uh, wine, similar, similar to many sweet cherries, but it's uh, scented and it's flavored with uh, orange peel. And when you come to Sevilla, something that surprised a lot the visitors is the amount of orange trees that we have. We have 50,000 orange trees in the city, in the street. So the orange and the orange blossom is super typical and special here. Um, and these winemakers were using this uh, orange peel to, to, they were soaking this in the wine for months till the wine tastes like oranges. So it's a sweet wine, accented with orange peel. It was a traditional, traditionally a breakfast wine <laughs> because uh, of the time when it was safer to drink wine, you know, drinking wine than water, uh, because water wasn't, you know, good enough and clean and safe. And, 
And we went to the first place long, long ago because we have so many bars that are older than a century. They made popular this uh, orange wine in the city that was uh, Perejil, the Perejil bar in Santa Cruz neighborhood. And the pairing, the perfect pairing with this wine for me is, is a great combination. Something that people should try because it's very special, yes. I really enjoyed it, and I thought the experience at Paragel was absolutely fantastic. Such a characteristic bar. Um, before we let you go, Pilar, let's uh, let's talk about one more drink that I enjoyed in Seville, which is vermouth. And you you said earlier how um, sherry has kind of this reputation as a grandmother's drink in the United States, and that's you know kind of uh, that that's not what it is in Spain. I think vermouth is the same way. I mean, I always I always picture vermouth when I was growing up as kind of a grandmother's drink. And you get to Spain and you realize, no, it's more of an artisanal drink that you really have to experience in several different places to understand it. Talk a little bit about uh, vermouth culture in Seville. Well, vermouth is uh, big in all Spain, eh? uh, anywhere. Anywhere you are in Spain, vermouth uh, is popular. It's um, here in Sevilla it's, uh, from sherry wine. You make vermouth from wine. You make it with wine, and and they are soaking this with a lot of different botanicals. They can be up to one hundred botanicals. The fun part is that uh, what well, it has nothing to do with martini. Eh? this kind of uh, industrial vermouth is always artisan, and they don't tell the recipe. The recipes are kept in secret. So it's very interesting because when you go to the traditional bars, many of them have bottles, but many of them have casks, and they serve you from the cask. Uh, every time it tastes different. And this is a lot of fun if you really like a vermouth. We consider vermouth like an appetizer, like a starting uh, drink, the first drink, uh, because it's going to open your palate. They can be more liquorice or cinnamon or orangey or um, cloth, nutmeg, but you never know. <laughs> but always tastes different. And we drink it straight with just a, a little bit of ice and an orange slice. And that's it. And, and it's, it's great to open. For me, vermouth is a little bit like Coca-Cola, but better. Because it has no gas, but it <laughs> has alcohol, and the taste is way more interesting. But it's a fun, it's a fun drink because it pairs virtually with anything, virtually with anything, and you can drink uh, sherry, uh, sorry, vermouth, as an appetizer, but also all day long. Really, it's uh, it's a very interesting thing to taste. Yeah, in, in Spain and also, of course, in Sevilla. I like your idea of trying it in several different places because, like you said, it's an artisan drink and each place has their own recipe and some of them are, are quite unique. Um, Pilar, thank you so much for being back on the podcast for a second week in a row. It's been great talking to you about Seville. And like I said, I can't wait to get back down there. We'll have to, we'll have to catch up together and uh, maybe have a glass of Fino or maybe a uh, vermouth, or maybe something else as well. Um, thanks for taking the time to be on the show today. It's been great catching up with you. Absolutely. Thanks uh, to you, Brent. And I'm willing to see you again. 
back in the city. We will plan more fun. <laughs> okay, there you go. As you can tell, Pilar is a lot of fun, and nobody knows more about Seville than her. So if you're planning a trip to Spain, be sure to get in touch with Pilar to schedule a tour of Seville with her. I've got her contact info in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED233. Well, that'll do it for this week. Next week, we are in Dubai, Kuwait, Thailand, and New Zealand with the Frugal Travelers. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. You can sign up for the newsletter and check out all of the latest foodie stuff I've posted, including my latest piece on one of the most popular attractions in Portugal, the Pina Palace. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash Pina. That's P-E-N-A. Or just go to DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. I also just posted a new video about a Portuguese fortified wine called Muscatel. You've surely heard of port wine. Well, Muscatel is similar, but it's also its own thing. And I made a video all about it. You can see that at DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the Videos tab or go to YouTube and at DestinationEatDrink946 for my channel. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who created a new 50-50 cocktail of half sherry and half scotch, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.